0: Welcome to Conversations with John and Lisa. I am Lisa and I'm so excited about today's episode. We're doing something a little different. Many of us are having the right conversations but with the wrong people. And so I've actually gathered some of the amazing people that I wanted to have conversations with, and we are going to invite you into this. And we're going to be talking about this whole idea of Adamant. And so I actually want to gather the right people to get the right conversations going. And we're so excited that we're going to have some guests. We're going to be featuring people that we think are adamant and passionate. Recently, I hosted several different conversations with top leaders who are tackling some very difficult subjects and today I'm going to share the conversation I had with Dr. Preston Sprinkle. I believe that this will bless you and encourage you as you remain adamant in your pursuit of truth. I'm just so excited to have you with me on this podcast Preston. I I feel like I know you even though we've never met face-to-face. That's
1: right. I, I feel the same way. I, I forget when we haven't met face-to-face. Thanks so much for having me on, Lisa. So I'm excited about this.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I've got your very impressive bio in front of me, but can you just kind of tell us a little bit about you?
1: Oh, you know, I'm a wannabe surfer. I, um...
0: <laughs> Wait, so am I. <laughs> I actually did. So have, have you surf? So I grew surfed? up
1: in California, Central California, longing and just jealous of people that lived on the coast. It wasn't until I was 32 years old that I actually lived close enough to the beach to surf. So there's about a five-year period of my life um, as a mid-30-something when I started surfing but it's uh, that's not a good time to start surfing so i i, I but
0: once you're a surfer you're always a surfer. <laughs> yeah i think so i think so
1: yeah that's right
0: <laughs> yeah, i surfed for the first time when i was 40 oh gosh! so yeah. you were ahead of me and i fell in love with it um, but so yeah I, I love surfing
1: so much fun so yeah so i'm i'm uh yeah so i'm 42 years old for much of my life i've either, either been in uh, education, uh, like theological education, or teaching at, a, at an academic school, um, up until I just realized it was a year and a half ago when I, um, well, long story short, I had to kind of fire myself because the school I was running wasn't, wasn't going anywhere. And, and that was the first time, a year and a half ago was the first time since I guess I was five years old when I was either not in school or teaching at a school. And so that was a bit of a surreal thing. But um, right now I'm, I'm doing some other things that I'm sure we'll probably talk about at some point in the podcast. But that's that's the gist of my
0: trajectory. Well, I love that you're you're a perpetual student. And um, I actually know that you're also the president of the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And this is a huge trifold yeah. dynamic that is needs to be talked about in the church and I, I love that you're tackling these things. I was with um, Rebecca Lyons uh, oh, yeah. a week or so ago and and she was we were talking about you or bragging about you and she said, <laughs> have you met Preston? I said, no, it's a fake friendship. I've never met him. And she said, well, you'll even like him more in person oh, than God, you will. Awesome. I guess you've been part of some of their cues and just been yeah. an incredible blessing. So now I'm going to brag on him because he's not bringing this up, but he's authored several books, okay, including and not limited to Erasing Hell, which is a New York Times bestseller that you co-authored with Francis Chan, right? That's right. Fight a Christian Case for Nonviolence, Paul and Judaism Revisited, Karis, God's scandalous grace for us and people to be loved. Why homosexuality is not just an issue. Mm -hmm. And uh, Preston, this is how we connected was around this book, people to be loved. Why homosexuality is not just an issue. But you've been married for how many years now?
1: Oh, you caught me off guard. Almost 18. Okay. It's going to be 18 in, in May.
0: <laughs> and how many kids do you have?
1: Four kids, uh, 14, 10, and 8. So we're, we're in the thick of it.
0: Yeah, you are. Okay, so I was reading your book. Somebody had referred your book to me, and I read it on a single flight mm. and was just so impressed because I felt like I had finally found mm. somebody that was saying the things that needed to be said, who was smart enough to say it. Like I can say things that people will be like, hey, you, you're not that smart. You can't actually yeah, see right. these things. You, you <laughs> do not have a doctorate. You just have opinions. And so I reached out to you, and 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 actually posted about your book, then reached out to you, and we saw some we saw some crazy reactions on yeah, my Instagram and uh, Facebook. <laughs> do you remember that?
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but your book sold out, so I was happy about that. Yeah. Um, I brought you into the I am adamant podcast, because there is something around these topics around grace and around truth and uh, around people that have gender, uh, gender and sexuality issues that you want to talk about that you're very adamant about. And so I just kind of wanted to give you a platform. Can you just kind of talk about the why? Because this is not the most people friendly subject and kind of, kind of tell me why you said I I need to have these conversations.
1: Well, that Yeah, thanks, Lisa. And I really do appreciate your very positive feedback with the book i was I was honored when you advertised it and and so thankful that it resonated with you and and I always get excited when people read it and say, Man, this is what I've been trying to say and and I'm so glad you you said it in print and so yeah, you know it goes back my um I've never struggled with my sexuality or gender identity, and up until a few years ago, I didn't even know that was really a thing you know homosexuality was just kind of distant. Thing that you know, it's it's a sin, it's an abomination, and people just need to kind of stop it, you know. <laughs> and and that, that was, I just never really reflected on it, never even considered, you know, what does the Bible actually say about it. And so, long story short, several years ago, um, it was actually Francis Chan and a few other mentors in my life said, you know, you should you should dive into this topic and write a book about it. And so I started you know, doing the research and doing the Greek and Hebrew word studies. And you know how it is when you write a book, you know, you start reading other things on it and, and you become this, you know, absorbed student with the topic. And, but early on in my research, I realized, you know, I kind of looked around and said, you know, I don't know any, hardly any gay people. And so I just started befriending LGBT people and, just said, Hey, I just love to hear your story. And, and, uh, you know, I'm studying this topic of homosexuality and I want to hear your story. What's it like being gay, you know? <laughs> and, um,
0: which is shocking. They invited you and said, sure, I would love to unpack that with you. Well,
1: but the first reaction was, yeah, right. What's your real angle? You bigot, you know, I'm like, wait, what do you mean? Like, you know, I'm, I'm a Bible college professor studying this topic, you know, and using these terms like topic and, you know, Bible college professor, there's probably triggering all kinds of trauma in their life. But, um, you know, I remember them saying early on, like, well, we've never heard of a, an evangelical Christian who just wants to hear our story. And I was just kind of really cut by that. Like, well, man, I really want to hear your story now. And yes, I I don't, I just want to listen. I'm not here to preach or whatever. I'm coming as a student and man, my stereotypes were blown apart. Um, and a, a lot of their stories were so diverse. And yet almost every single story within the diversity had something to do with like, Hey, Preston, yeah, you know, I was raised in the church too. And I went to Sunday school and I went to Awana. I memorized the Bible. and But once I realized I was experienced unwanted same-sex attraction at 12, 13, 14, all of a sudden now people looked at me differently and they shamed me and they mocked me and I was isolated and alone and depressed and suicidal and I had no community to wrestle with out loud. And I'm not a I'm not a crier or emotional person, but my heart was just being torn in two saying, oh my word, you were in the church and you didn't experience the love of Christ because you had a struggle that most other people don't. I said, that's that's not right. I mean, the church, I grew up believing and been being told that the church is a hospital for sinners. So when did it become a graveyard for gay people is kind of what was going through my mind. And so I'm, I'm being ripped to shreds with these personal stories and saying, man, I think the church really needs to do something about this. We're not caring and loving People Well, while they're struggling with this now, so th- that's half of my, you know, my, my research was kind of just studying people and learning and, but then I was also studying the Bible and with the really Lisa, least I promise you before you, before God, before your audience, I came before God and says, look, if we got this wrong biblically, then give me the courage to go where the text leads, even if it leads me away from a traditional view of marriage, if that's what your Bible teaches, if it says, Two people, the same sex can get married and have a sexual relationship. Then give me the courage to boldly proclaim that. But after studying all the evidence as fairly and freshly as I could, I, I concluded like most Christians do that no, God designed marriage to be between a man and a woman and all sexual relations belong within that covenant uh, framework. Um, So yeah, so my trajectory has been holding those two seemingly impossible passions and tension. Number one, the church needs to care for uh, people who are struggling with their sexuality and gender 10 times better than it typically has. And it needs to become a beacon of light and hope and love for the LGBT community. And also, not but, but we also need to maintain theological integrity, maintain, uphold, and celebrate god's design for marriage and no it is not intrinsically hateful and harmful and bigoted as some people make it out to be so that's that's been my whirlwind of a life the last five years
0: (laughs) yeah and you know i i found it so disappointing that when i actually posted about your book the first the first default in the church was oh my gosh now you are supporting same-sex marriage they wouldn't even read the book and and i was so upset because i don't think we're doing it well and, um, and I love that you said, hey, we, we su- you support a biblical frame of reference of man and woman. That's wow. what marriage is. And sex happens in that context. But that does not mean that other people aren't struggling with things. And we have got to learn that the church needs to actually have the power of love and redemption. Yeah. Something you said in your book that I found to be so moving. You, you talked about how Jesus was always going to side with love and compassion. Mm-hmm. Which meant he had to side with truth, mm-hmm. yeah. and so many people don't know how to reconcile both truth and compassion, or truth and yeah. love. And so we have a lot of people uh, saying that love means everything is is truth. I mean, it can be your truth, my truth is different than yeah. your truth, but we, you and I, both know as biblical scholars yeah. that truth is not subjective yeah. or relative; it's actually a person. Right. It is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we actually believe that Jesus is the truth, then we have to navigate what is happening in our culture in in relationship with the truth, which is Jesus. And I I love your humility because, Preston, I have to be honest with you, that's been my Mm -hmm. prayer, saying, you know what, God, if I'm wrong and I'm being hateful and same-sex marriages are okay, I want to know that If, if I have some horrible prejudice. If I have that advantage then I want, I want to get rid of it. But here's what I don't like is that the church is known for what she's against and not what she is for. And and God is always for people and he's always for freedom. And I felt like in your book, you, you spoke to, and I love how the book is modeled. You spoke to the affirming Uh, this affirming same sex and the non-affirming. And and you spoke to here's the challenge of the non-affirming. Here's where you're being harsh. Here's where you're being bigoted. Here's where you're being prejudiced. Here's where you shut doors on people that probably need to have a relationship with you. And then you would also say, okay, affirming, here's where you have done theological gymnastic backflips that don't work. When you look at the word of God, you actually took out both sides and put them on the table. And talked about, this is this is where we're at right now in our world. Um, I believe that a lot of people don't understand that sexual brokenness is something that is happening more and more in a lot of people. There's people that have been sexually molested, people that have been abused, people that have been exposed to pornography. All of this brokenness needs to actually be healed in the presence of God which usually happens also in the presence of people. And so I I love uh that you have been brave enough and courageous enough to tackle this. And so what would you think is the big error that the church has when it comes to merging love and truth?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and and it's um it's a mul- I, I have a multifaceted answer really. I think uh let, let me go back to my story a little bit early on and in, in my how to help with that. I remember early on when I was talking with LGBT people, just sitting down over a meal, you know, some were um, confessing Christians, some were not. Most of them have had a church background, you know, all, all different kinds. And and I remember sitting down over a meal and, you know, I would ask them their story. So we'd talk about sexuality and this and that, but re- really quickly, we just start talking about life and how's your work and what do you like about, what's your favorite movie? And, oh, you like that movie too? And you know, you, you listen to Coldplay as well, and you too, and you went to that concert. I was at that concert. We just started being humans together. And I remember early on, and I this is just my confessing my sin here. Early on, I started to just enjoy the relationship with another human as another human, as another broken human in need of Jesus, just like I'm a broken human in need of Jesus. And I started to really enjoy them, and I felt guilty. Why? I, well, that's it. that That's the question. Why? Because I grew up with this, I don't know where it came from, but some sort of assumption that um, you can enjoy, you know, uh, a greedy person. You can enjoy somebody who is, you know, sleeping with their girlfriend, boyfriend, like are not a Christian, who cares, whatever. They're an not adulterer.
0: Little, yes. an adulterer. An mm-hmm.
1: adulterer or half the people in the church are addicted to porn or whatever. Like I'm I'm around broken sinners and enjoying them all the time and people enjoy me and I'm a broken sinner. But for some reason when I enjoy somebody who's LGBT or gay or wrestling, whatever, I feel guilty because for some reason I don't know where it came from, but I grew up with this assumption that this is the scarlet letter sin. This is a different kind of sinner that is really out there, that is beyond, that is ugly and creepy and unworthy of God's grace. And I don't even I don't think anybody taught me that verbally. It's just is in the air, I think, of the church. And so I remember I I had to really deconstruct that. A lot of my my gay friends, you know, have helped me with this, you know, when when straight people say, how do we love gay people? How do we, you know, and they, they often say like, just talk to them like people, just treat us like a normal person and enjoy us like a normal person and don't get all weird, you know, around us or think you have to, you know, you're talking to your gay colleague at work or whatever. And you're like, okay, when do I have to slip in the, you know, but, you know, I, I do think gay being gay is a sin and, you know, we can still hang out, but you just need to know where I stand. And we're so quick to feel the need to always give our stance on, on this issue or we, or we feel guilty if we don't. But, you know, Paul says it's the kindness of God that it leads to repentance in Romans 2 4. And until the church embodies God's kindness towards the LGBTQ community, um, I, I think we need to not expect the kind of repentance that, that that we're that we're asking for. And if you ask any I mean ask ask any ten LGBT people on the streets, when you think of the church, do you th- there's the first word that comes to your mind kindness. If it's not, and I'm going to tell you, it's not, <laughs> if right. it's not, then we're not embodying the presence of Jesus as, as we ought. There's, um, so one of my favorite kind of, uh, uh sections in, in the gospels is, is, early, early in the gospel of Matthew, where you, in, um, in Matthew five to seven, Jesus preaches the sermon on the Mount, the famous, you know, if you have a red letter Bible, it's the, <laughs> the part of the Bible where it's just read for like a few pages. So he preaches the sermon on the Mount in Matthew five to seven, which is, one of the most strict religious speeches in all human history. Like it's, it's like impossible obedience. Like tr- try to read Matthew 5 to 7 and then walk out your door and, and just do that. It's like you'll fail within five minutes, right? <laughs> so Jesus has a high standard of obedience. What's fascinating though is the way Matthew is set up, the Gospel of Matthew is you have speech, action, speech, action, speech, action, where Jesus kind of, uh, he'll, say, he'll give a long speech and then he'll do something that is correlated with that speech. So he gives a speech in Matthew 5 to 7, high standard of obedience. But then in Matthew 8 and 9, he goes out and encounters uh, at least nine, maybe 10 people who are falling short of the for Sermon on the Mount. And what does he do? He loves them. He doesn't He doesn't excuse their sin, doesn't say, oh, live however you want. You know, it's cool, man. We can just hang out. I don't care how you live. No, no, no. He has a huge high standard of obedience, but he's able to excessively love those who fall short of that standard. That is a pa- pattern we see in Jesus's life, loving people who fall short of his standard excessively. And he loves them not uh, apart from a desire for obedience. He loves them towards that obedience. Um, so so this whole idea that either you stand for the truth or you love people, you know, can only do one or the other. J- Jesus just shatters that false dichotomy. We can do both. We must do both well if we're going to be faithful followers of Jesus.
0: You know, I, I love what you just said about loving people towards the truth. I, I do think that somewhere along the line, and again, I don't know where it's come into any of our minds, but that we have begun to think that kindness, being kind to somebody yeah. and being loving to someone equals endorsing their sin. Right. And so again, I feel like you've hit on everything that we, you know, that we have to navigate with our brain. Like, okay, so now I'm being kind. Do, am I being a bad Christian because I'm not saying you're going to hell? You're living in whatever. And again, I I would right. never hope any Christian would say that. But I'm saying that's the kind of programming that is in the church right now. That if I'm kind to you, and I am loving to you, right. then I'm actually not helping you find Christ. And what you're saying is Jesus actually functioned the very opposite direction. He was loving to people that didn't deserve it. I know that he's loving to me and I don't deserve it. He was kind to me when I didn't deserve it. It was his goodness that led me to repentance. Uh, My husband, who was not my husband at the time, invited me to a Bible study picnic and I was a total heathen. Hmm. I was a fornicator. I was a drunk. I was everything, Hmm. everything except for same sex, but just pretty (laughs) much everything other than that. So I was a poster child for sin. And I remember John told me that God had asked him to invite me to this picnic because God loved me and Preston that's what broke me i was a, i was aware at some level that i wasn't living how i should live i i knew my life felt empty but when i heard about the love of god and i knew i didn't deserve it i my heart all the barricades in my heart all the shame it left, mm-hmm. and and I interrupted John, and I said, "I, I want to do this Christian thing." Mm. He didn't even have to ask me. He didn't have to read me the four spiritual laws. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I had a revelation of the love of God, and and you know, again, we're we're talking about um, people who have been isolated and excommunicated as far as church. And and that's never what Jesus wanted us to do. He, even, even when Paul talked about putting a brother out, it was that he'd put him out so he could come back. So God will actually isolate us so that we turn back, but he, he never rejects us. And I think that, that we have an active rejection going. And, uh, as you know, uh, Preston, a lot of people have reacted to this and said, okay, guess what? We changed our mind. Mm -hmm. Same sex is Okay it's, it's all right. Everything is okay because we're not under the law. You would have had to navigate these questions. What, what did you discover in that?
1: Yeah, that's, um, I mean, honestly, all of the, the rational or biblical arguments that people use to justify same-sex marriage. And and again, I, I not only explored them, but I did as much as I could to actually embrace them. Like until you, until you can come within an inch of believing something, I don't think you, Uh, can actually truly understand it. If you try to understand something just to prove it wrong, you're never really going to try to understand it. So this is where I, early on in my Mm -hmm. journey, I made a lot of people nervous. You know, I was like blogging out loud about how I was processing different arguments and passages. And people were like, where are you going with this? You know, what do you believe? And I said, I don't know. I'm in the process of studying it. I'll let you know on the other side. And (laughs) people didn't want to know that I'm going to, you know, just follow what the Bible says. But, um, you know, I... uh, some people try to say that there's like, you know, uh yeah, the Old Testament is kind of, you know, it condemns same-sex relations, but the New Testament, you know, it's all about loving your neighbor and and you have, you know, eunuchs and Gentiles coming into the kingdom, but you know, the fact is there's there's no variation in scripture um on this question. Uh, two things. Number one, well, let me say this. People often race to the, you know, don't have gay sex passages. They call them the 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 um the uh, clobber passages, people call them, because gay people have been clobbered over the head with Leviticus and Romans and these others. But it, it, the most important thing you s- to understand in Scripture is that when it describes marriage, marriage as an institution is not a union between two consenting adults. That That's how m- the majority of Western culture de- de- describes it, even though I would say most people in the church. Marriage, by definition, is the joining together of two sexually different persons. You see this very clear in Genesis 1 and 2, Matthew 19. Um, and that there's no variation in Scripture on that. So the, even the question, can t- two people of the same sex get married? I always stop right there and say, well, wait a minute. Um, what do you mean by married? Because you're using the term marriage in a way that I don't actually agree with, and that Judeo-Christianity for 2,000 years has never defined marriage as two consenting people. Marriage is by definition, the union between two sexually different persons. You see that constantly in scripture. You also see, um, whenever same sex sexual relations are mentioned, it's always mentioned in the negative in scripture. Now, and now I think most people would say, okay, yeah, I kind of assumed that, but I said, okay, let, let's put that in a, a broader framework. Is there any other, um, ethical issue that has such a uniform perspective in scripture? Does, does divorce have uniform is is it is divorce always hundred percent of the time in every single verse from Genesis to revelation always spoken of in a negative? well no. no, no, you have some variation in that what about uh you know um okay i'm gonna, i'm gonna i'm gonna open up another can here Lisa how about and I, wanna, I don't even know what you're gonna say about this What about women teaching in the church?
0: Oh, absolutely. This is a big, big question right now. No, it it looks like there's variation because there's things modeled in the Old Testament, things modeled in the New Testament, and there's two scriptures that are prohibitive.
1: No matter where you land on the question, you would have to admit, yes, okay, there's verses where you could, uh, you know, rip them out of the context or whatever, but there's, there are right. statements that say women shouldn't teach. You also have statements that women are prophesying and, and leading wars and hosting churches and everything. So, I mean, you can go down the list from like, love your enemies or kill your enemies, you know, or right. are you reading Joshua or, you know, Matthew 5 or, or infant baptism and adult baptism. Scripture has a lot of, I mean, when it comes to ethical questions in Christianity, there's typically t- not, not contradictions. Don't, don't get me wrong, but there are tensions. There's things you got to work through, you know, mm-hmm. lose your salvation or are you eternally secure or is speaking in tongues today? You know, have the gifts cease. And I mean, you can't get, a, I, I mean, when the Bible consistently hundred percent of the time says nothing but negative things about same sex, sexual behavior. And when marriage is always defined as a union between two sexually different persons, male and female, to me, that's just, I, I I can't get around that. And, and the arguments that try that try to get around that don't really address it or supply a superior argument to the contrary. They they, they kind of sidestep it and say, well, you know, we now know about sexual orientation and they didn't know that back then. So we need to kind of move beyond scripture or they say, you know, Gentiles were led in the covenant and they didn't need to be circumcised. So maybe the Old Testament's kind of done away with, but all these arguments are really a, a stretch or you know we're just supposed to love everybody and so we can't really love gay people without affirming same-sex marriage which which that alone is is not logically or, or theologically consistent so um yeah all that to say I, 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 I might have departed from your question Lisa
0: <laughs> you know it's it's in all fairness I don't even know why I would even do this to you in such a short amount of time <laughs> because it is such a massive question but here's here's what I love is you're not compromising truth, Mm -hmm. but you're also not compromising love. And I think that you, you talked about the scriptures, but that is the tension of being a Christian. That is the tension of me being a wife. That's the tension of me being a mother. That's the tension of me being a true friend. You know, am I going to be a a true friend that wounds people with truth? Or am I going to be a friend who is is like an enemy, the unfaithful kisses of an enemy? What am I going to be at the end of the day? And, you know, when I wrote this book, Adamant, um, Finding Truth in Universe Opinions, your book was so crucial for me because, I, you know, I only visit this. But I knew that I had to talk about truth and love, and and truth, if truth without love is harsh, yeah. And love without truth is weak. It, mm. It's not empowering. It doesn't have grace. Grace, grace empowers somebody to actually move into the likeness of the love they're being shown. So grace is such an empowerment. When when Jesus forgave the woman taken in adultery, he said, "Go and sin no more." We kind of just say, "I don't condemn you," and we forget that when we have a life in the light of God, it goes from shadowed realm to light as the, the noonday, you know, that first light of the sun ever brighter. And so we, we aren't actually preaching truth to people that God can transform us. And, you know, I come from a long line of adulterers and Ooh. alcoholics and squanders of money. And <laughs> I love that the gospel wasn't just about my eternal salvation, but it was about wholeness now. And that I could actually be somebody who's been married for 36 years and be faithful. I didn't think I could even do that, Preston. And outside of the grace of God, I don't think I could have. But yeah. finding out who I was in Christ changed everything. And and um, you know, I love what I love what you're saying. And I I I think that there's no harshness. I hope that the people that are listening, I hope you understand that Preston has no harshness. Mm-hmm. I have no harshness, but telling people that a lie is truth is not loving. And yep. telling people truth without love is not loving. Mm-hmm. And so we in the church, we have to somehow be able to navigate this immovable stance on the scriptures so that we understand that the scripture at the end of the day is that rock we stand on. It is that cornerstone that we build our lives upon. But at the same time, we don't ever leave other people out. You know, mm-hmm. we uh, we allow everyone to come, you know, come to me. Yeah. And when when I hear the invitation of Jesus, come to me, all you who are hungry and thirsty. I mean, how much hunger and thirst there is in a broken world, whether it's Porn addiction, or alcohol addiction, or same sex attraction, or uh, gender gender identity issues, whatever that is, I always hear God say, "Come, come. I, I I know your deepest hurt. I know your deepest longing. I'm not afraid of your darkness, but I I want you to draw near, and I'm gonna I'm gonna have the Spirit of God hover over your life. And I I just know, Preston, that God has the ability to speak truth." to the inner parts of somebody in such a way that only he can do in his presence. And if people can't even get to God because the Christians are blocking them, then we got a huge problem.
1: Oh man. Oh, so good. And The love and truth thing. I do think people tend to see those as, you know, either love or truth. Or I hear people say, well, I'm just going to err on the side of truth. I said, look, if you err on the side of truth, meaning you're not going to love, then you err (laughs) because it's not love and truth it's truth is love so if you're holding to the truth and not being loving you're actually not being truthful because love and truth are (laughs) overlapping um so i have a friend she um she was raised in a church struggled with her gender identity growing up and just a really really horrific church experience i mean she was like i mean just a, a real dehumanizing church experience while she was like loving jesus and trying to follow jesus and Finally, she came to her pastor and said, you know, hey, I'm, I don't know what to do with this. I just, I feel like I'm a boy and I, I know my body's female and I'm really wrestling with this. And she said she was escorted out of the church and invited never to come back again. And so she ended up kind of just leaving the church and getting married to a woman. Five years later, her wife contracted a fatal disease and she went out to light a cigarette and her hands were shaking so bad that she lit herself on fire and she died in the hospital. Oh and Leslie, God. and Leslie, my friend Leslie was just, I mean, she's been through enough trauma, right? So and she was actually, you know, came home, had to pull the plug on her wife. And she was distraught, didn't know what to do. Goes to a phone book. Remember those, Lisa, phone books? Yes, I do. <laughs> and she just finds, she hasn't been to church in almost two decades. Just looks up C C H C H U. you know, finds church, just puts her finger on the first church, calls it. Doesn't know anything about the church. Ends up getting the pastor on the phone says, hey, look. Uh, my wife just died. And I'm wondering, can you do her funeral? Um, We're lesbians, you know, and and I just, I don't know what you think about that. But I just, I don't know who else to call. Would you do my funeral? And the pastor, it's actually a very conservative church, by the way, theologically, and believed in marriage between a man and a woman. And he immediately jumped in and said, Leslie, we would be honored to. Those simple words of breathing life and love. I mean, that's not A really, that shouldn't be a really hard thing to do. I mean, I know the wedding question is a big one, and you know, we can go there, but doing a funeral for a a woman whose wife died, that you're not, there's nothing in the Bible that says, thou shalt not do the funeral of a lesbian, you know, it's just not in the Bible. Um, And he says, we would be honored to. It was that simple yet powerful gesture of love that brought Leslie back to the church. She's living faithful to Jesus, and now she spends her life. Mentoring teens who are wrestling with their gender identity and and sexuality and and faith and and I've seen her up in, until two in the morning talking people down from suicide because they have nobody else to talk to. They're in our churches, they're in your churches, and they're they're on the brink of suicide because I have nobody to talk to. You. Leslie is one of the few people who is going in and talking to people and talking, speaking the love of Christ into their life. Why? Because one pastor had the courageous the courageous love to say we would be honored to love breaks down walls. And I've got just an infinite number of stories where people who were LGBT or restaurants or sexuality didn't submit to Jesus, didn't come back to Christ or didn't want to follow Jesus because they were shown a verse or, you know, they were handed kind of this really cold version of the truth, but they were shown love, not, I love you. And therefore I'm going to change my view of marriage. No, I, I, here's my beliefs on marriage, sexuality, but I love you because Jesus loves you. And we're all broken sinners. We're all broken in our sexuality, whether it's, you know, heterosexual sin or lust or pornography or same sex attraction, whatever, we are all broken. And, and we need to embody the kindness that Jesus showed us to the LGBT community. And that's, what's going to show them the way of Christ.
0: I have to be honest with you. I watched that story on your video that you sent Mm. me and I burst into tears. Uh. (laughs) I burst into tears when the pastor said we would be honored Uh. to. And it was such an awareness to me, Preston, of just how, uh, how we've moved away from the love of God. And so, you know, I, I want to, I want to do a couple things. Uh, first of all, I want you to pray for the people that would be listening. Cause I'm sure there's a lot, I mean, here's, here's the thing. I mean, we, you and I both know that one of the number one reasons why millennials are leaving the church is because yeah. of the mishandling, the yes. mishandling of this issue. And so, you know, I would love you just to pray that, that people would be able to walk in both truth and love, however you want to form those words. And then I want to tell them how they can connect with your resources and connect with you. And, okay. um, Preston, can I just say, thank you. Thank you for, <laughs> for going on this journey. Um, I know from just the little backlash I got from supporting (laughs) you. And and, I mean, again, we were not even, we were not even saying that marriage was not the traditional view. We were just like, hi, this, you know, this is a great book. You should read it. People like lost it. And, and, and these are people that, that you know at some level feel like they have a trust level or a relationship with me and I you know I just thank you because I, I know you told me this hasn't been easy for you guys yeah. and that you and Christine have looked at each other and said why are we doing this again? Like what
1: what what have we signed
0: up for and yeah. um but thank you for being faithful to the heart of God with love and thank you for being faithful to the scriptures but not separating the two and and i know that it would have been easier for you to go harsh or just to say you know what in this i'm just going to say that love is god instead of god is love and i'm going to allow love to be defined outside of the parameters of god just just to get the pass on this and um yeah i just thank you preston i really i really admire you for this
1: I appreciate your encouragement, Lisa. It really means a ton. More than you know, your encouragement is is really life-giving. So thank you for your thank you.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, do you mind praying
1: for the people? I would love to. Uh, Father, we pray through the blood of Christ and by the power of the Spirit that you would right now comfort and speak to, especially those listening right now who are wrestling with their sexuality or gender identity. Maybe it's even a... an abusive past abuse situation or current abuse that nobody knows about. Maybe it's an attraction to the same sex or or a, a, a deep sense that you feel like you're a different gender or whatever it is. If you're listening and you are struggling, especially if you're struggling alone, I pray that, God, you would... You would overwhelm them with your comfort, your kindness, and that you would bring somebody their way to embody the love and truth of Jesus to come alongside them in this journey and and help us all as leaders and thinkers and Christians to embody the grace, truth, way of Christ and not sacrificing on either one, but boldly, um, boldly holding to the truth and boldly embodying the radical, the scandalous love that you showed us through Jesus in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. You know, you can connect with Preston at prestonsprinkle.com. Facebook is also Preston Sprinkle and Twitter, Preston Sprinkle. And I really would encourage you to check out his resources. There's a lot of things that are incredible tools for youth leaders and um, pastors to have those conversations with their congregation and give them the tools. Because if this is a conversation we're having right now, you, you better be sure there's a lot of people that don't have access to have these conversations. And if you want to learn any more about the book Adamant or the Messages, Around, I am adamant. Visit us at iamadamant.com. Preston, again, thank you. I look forward to actually meeting you one day. <laughs> and um, again, I just, I just think that you're brilliant and uh, engaging. And thank you for taking on this challenge.
1: Thanks, Lisa, so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely,
0: thanks for joining us. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Conversations with John and Lisa. We wanna invite you to check out Lisa's brand new podcast called I Am Adamant. Join her as she hosts top leaders in conversations that will empower you to find truth in a culture inundated with opinions. For more information, check out iamadamant.com. Until next time.